welcome to the Bitter Strangers podcast. My name is Eric McEwen, and I am your socially awkward conversationalist for this show. I am a comedian from Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find me on Twitter at A-R-I-C, that's Eric. And what the show is about is having conversations. And more specifically, someone, me, who has trouble relating to people and talking to people, meeting a stranger for the first time and seeing how that conversation will go. So what you will hear is a full conversation that I have with a stranger, uh, not edited, so all the awkwardness or pauses or gaps or stupid asides are all left in, just so you can see how a conversation goes when you're starting from scratch and have the deck stacked against you. So this week I talked to Matthew, and we have a really great conversation. I'll, I'll analyze it on the other side of what you're about to hear. Just a quick aside, I usually chop off the very beginning of the recording because it's all, is this mic working? Can you hear me? What do you want to be called? All right, now let's start. And that probably leads to a lot of awkwardness because I'm restarting the conversation after we've already been slightly introduced. But in this one, it all just all that beginning just flowed into the start. There wasn't another start. It was just we started when the phone picked up, which is maybe something I should strive to do in the future more. So if you're wondering why the hell am I listening to them talk about mic levels and such, well, that's why, because there isn't another place to start. It all just flows naturally into the introduction and conversation. So there you have it. Uh, take a listen, and I will talk to you on the other side of the conversation. Hey, what's up? Hey, Matthew. Uh, hey, I'm going to do try something right now, because okay. I never use Skype. I'm going to put push my the sleep button on my phone and see if you can still hear me. Okay, sounds good. Uh, are we still having a conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay, fantastic. Uh, and do I sound good? Is everything all set with that? Yeah, everything sounds great. Okay, um, cool. And what's your name? My name is Eric. Eric, Matthew. Matthew. Uh, because if this were anything else, I would have gone and listened to a bunch of your old shows. But because uh -huh. premised on us being strangers, I intentionally didn't find out anything about you. Excellent. Good, good. Um, all right. Well, you're all set then? Yep. Good. Can you hear me all right? Uh, yeah, I can hear you just fine. Good. Uh, now, do you want me to use your full name? Or some people don't like that on the internet, so I can just say Matthew. Um... Let's just say let's just say Matthew. Matthew um, works for me. I'll put Matthew. It gives me, you know, and if I if I don't end up saying anything, that, the worst thing in the world. Yeah, and the worst thing in the world, then maybe maybe you can edit in my full name. Yeah, it'll okay. give me more freedom to say a bunch of crap. I yeah, guess. yeah, absolutely, Mister Anonymous, and I'll, I'll I'll warp your voice too, so it sounds like you're a criminal. Oh, that's going to be so annoying for everybody. It's, it's, yeah, they'll tune out after two seconds. Yeah, well, I don't know. That guy sustained. Uh, was it delocated? Oh yeah, he sustained fifteen minute, fifteen minute episodes with that. That's true. But he's playing off of everybody else. I just have you. Well, you have a you have a professional broadcaster's voice. It sounds or Thank you. cultivated one. People keep so. saying that <laughs> doesn't 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 give me any work. But well, <laughs> we'll I, I wonder work on that. I I this is something I've wondered about because they always say about like radio people. Oh, you you know you don't sound like what you look like or whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you? I mean, you do you end up listening to yourself a lot when you're editing these shows and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. I used to. We used to do radio shows in my basement when I was a kid. You you just put up the your boombox, which has a recording option. Yeah. Put the tape over the little holes in the in the tops of a of a old cassette you don't want anymore. 
Right, right. And then you pretend you're doing a, a radio show. And that, it sounded weird then, but you get used to it. See, I think, and I think that feedback loop, mm -hmm. a constant feedback loop, because I have an old friend who, um, who worked for years in radio. And I remember visiting her once, and just so much of her life was listening to her own voice. I think that must just naturally cause your voice to change. Hmm. Well, you know, maybe, I wonder if maybe it stops, it be, starts to become more of a conscious expression and less of just an unconscious reflection of whatever, whatever it is people's voices normally are a reflection of. All right, so you're thinking the voice changes to match what is happening on the tape rather than uh, being acclimated to the sound of it. Um... Wait, explain. I'm not sure I know the difference. Right. What, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, I always thought that I hear it so much, so I just it, it grows natural to your ears. It's like uh, the athletes training on tops of mountains. So there's a, uh, uh, it's harder to get oxygen, and they have to train harder. Um, <laughs> Wait, are you you think what, you think it's simply you list you that you hear it differently? Yeah, it's like when you're in the tub and it's really hot, and then all of a sudden it's it's fine after a while, not necessarily cooling off too much. But just... I mean, it must. I mean, but it's so. I mean, biofeedback is like such a powerful mechanism for change. I That's mean, you true. give somebody you give somebody a handle on on any just about any aspect of their physiognomy. And, you know, give them a chance to look at it and make it a line that goes up and down, they'll eventually be able to, to control it. So I imagine as, as much as you're getting used to your voice, you must, be, you must be talking more and more like something that you yourself want to listen to. Yeah, I suppose that could be true. I, I probably do speak differently on a podcast or a radio than I do in, in normal life, too. Well, you just said a podcast or a radio. Right. <laughs> so that'll tip you off. Right? I don't you're, know if you did that on purpose. You're, you're singular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to a podcast. Right. A. a oh, that's a right. A podcast. Yeah. A radio. I was doing a... I had a, a project where I had to, um, to do something as a, an acting thing where I was, I was, I was portraying... Uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer. Okay. And he always said the. He never said the. Okay. Interesting. And it was so, like, a couple of things made me wonder if he, because he spoke with, like, a perfect, I can't do it anymore, unfortunately. Um, but he spoke with, like, that, that like, perfect, uh, you know, mid-Atlantic accent, like, somewhere halfway between Boston and London. Um and he, you know, he's an amazing speaker, an amazing extemporaneous speaker. But when he paused, you could see his lips moving back and forth in this funny way, like um, like a horse, almost like like he had some piece of sand between his lips. Uh -huh. And he always said the and never said the, which made me wonder if he had uh, like worked to overcome a stutter. Hmm. That he had developed, that maybe he had he had been a stutterer or had some kind of, some kind of, um, uh, some kind of speech pathology as a child, and had consciously developed this this non New York accent because he was from Riverside Drive. Right. So he he just because like that's not that's not the most natural choice for a physicist. I mean, he was a contemporary of Feynman who had the thickest New York accent you'd ever want to hear. You know. Yes. So yeah, he. Uh, uh, didn't, 
I mean, he was surrounded by people who didn't speak like that, so it must be conscious. Or, or like Madonna, right? Oh, perfect example. Another person who went to Europe. Um, oh, that's both of them, yeah. Because Oppenheimer went to England, where he went crazy and poisoned his teacher. Oh, no. And then went from there to Germany, where he had a great time. Um, so, yeah, a lot of these guys came back. Yeah, Madonna's one. I think Stokowski was another one who, like, intentionally spoke with an unplaceable foreign accent. <laughs> and Tommy Wiseau. Oh, yes, 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 <laughs> to, to, fill out, to fill out our, uh, our panoply of greats. Yes, you're naming scientists, I'm naming pop culture figures. I think uh, that goes where we land on the... Well, Stokowski shook hands with Mickey Mouse. Well. I don't think Tommy Wiseau, well, even that. Yeah, Tommy Wiseau. You know, I still haven't seen The Room. Haven't you? It's no. Pretty... I don't know how I've avoided it all these years. It's amazing. That's it what is. everyone says. It's... I feel bad we can't talk about it for an hour. Oh, that's true, because you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Oh, let's just pick a movie you've seen, and then we'll talk about mm. it. No, uh... I want to hear why, why is The Room the best movie ever. Well... Before I see it for myself. Sure, sure. I'm, I'm on a... Okay. So I'm on, a, I'm on a different kick called The Talking Cat, which is another terrible, awful movie. The Talking Cat? A Talking Cat! Exclamation oh, a Talking point, Cat! Question mark, exclamation point. This is a great title. Yeah, it's streaming on Netflix, and is, it is the most soulless movie you've ever seen. And it is, it is, it's got Eric Roberts in there voicing a, a cat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's terrible. But, uh, but The Room is this horrible movie that is, it's not soulless. It's made with so much passion behind it. Like someone thought this was the best thing they've ever done. Yeah. And it's, and that, and, and it's so awful. And that's why it's so amazing. I mean, there, there's so much crap out there. A talking yeah. cat rises above the cream for some reason just because of how absurd it is. But it's not made with love. Uh, but you know, like things like Birdemic and The Room are are two yeah. of those movies that are just uh, someone's dream project that just you, that they can't see how absurd this is, and it's it's amazing on so many levels. Oh, that's and that sounds beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's nothing. I feel there's nothing more than a lack of polish to expose to expose the kind of soul and intention of the creator. Yeah. Oh, it's it's a deep. It's delving into someone's mind too far. Huh. Someplace you can't. I I bought two copies instantly when it became available on DVD for so The Room? So, yeah. So I could loan one out and still have one just in case I need to show Because you're that it. passionate about it. Yeah. That you need to you need to be able to show Well, now I absolutely need to see it. Yeah. I mean this is that is interesting. Both with the room and Birdemic, people seem unable to talk about the movie without immediately talking about the guys who made it. Yeah, that's true. It, they're they're kind of in well, there's so much of the filmmaker in the films. Right. I mean the room, the guy stars in it too, and he wrote it and directed <laughs> directed. I'm reading the book yeah, about it quote, right quote. now, kind of behind the scenes, and it is even more batshit crazy than I uh, could possibly have imagined. I mean, I have heard a few details about how, like, he shot it on two cameras simultaneously because mm -hmm. he thought he was supposed to or something. It, well, because it had never been done. Oh, I see. But it wasn't, it wasn't two film cameras. It was a film camera <laughs> and an uh, HD digital camera, which, 
you can't intercut between those two. You can't get a slight. I don't know. It doesn't make yeah, any sense. Yeah, there's a good reason that's never been done. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, that's so interesting because all the way at the other end, there are movies that are that you can't talk about with talk, without talking about the filmmaker, like Terrence, like a Terrence Malick film. Like no one's just going to be like, Oh, I saw the tree of life. That was an interesting movie. <laughs> You're be like, I saw the tree of life. What do you think of Terrence Malick? Yeah. Um, uh, what did I, I saw something recently that was, Oh, I yeah. Well, gravity, gravity was astounding. Yes. Yeah. I, I saw that. I saw that too. I missed, I, I went to go pee while she was in the, uh, the Soyuz. Okay. And I came back and she was still there and she was just colder and it was darker. And it was after I came back that, uh, spoiler alert, I guess. Yeah. Go spoiler. Well, spoiler yeah. alert. See gravity. First of all, on 3d. Yeah. IMAX, turn this people. off right now. and yeah. go See gravity for sure. Um, but it was after I got back that, uh, George Clooney reappears. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what happened that whole time I was urinating other than she just got colder and and the room got darker <laughs> did no one um, tell you no what happened oh. i haven't asked anyone yet oh she gave up she gave up on life and turned all the life support off oh, okay that and makes sense. so george clooney's ghost or imagination yeah. comes and says hey uh quit being a dick okay i kind of got that i didn't understand why it took because i felt like i was out for a while i didn't understand how why it took her that long mm -hmm. um it was the quietest part of the movie so you picked the perfect non-action sequence yeah to go. Well, my feeling about that movie, sometimes I feel, sometimes I, I, this is not the only time I've had this feeling, where I read a review that, that I feel like faults the movie for exactly the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I read the New Yorker review of Gravity before I went. It was talking about how, you know, it's an amazing spectacle, but, you know, the characterization is thin and all this stuff. And I went and I saw it, and I was like, every second of screen time spent on characterization spent on like these people's backstories spent on anything that's not happening like right now in space is wasted and that was my feeling about it i was like this is this is uh, like a this is a story from the gut it's about survival it's mm -hmm. the experience they're putting you in like it it almost felt like all the stuff about um i'm wondering if you feel the same way i felt like all this stuff about sandra bullock's dead kid um, basically everything about her psychology that didn't relate directly to whether she was going to live or die right now mm -hmm. seemed like it was seemed like a gesture to the fact that this was a movie and was supposed to have a plot and characters hmm. when like deep down it wasn't like it wasn't it wasn't a movie with plot and characters it was a trip through space right yeah it was it was world war z done much better because world war z was uh oh this shit happens now we got to go someplace else now that shit happens and we got to go someplace else without reason but here yeah. it was the thinnest kind of reason but it didn't need to, it didn't need these they, huge they explanations had the, they had the ultimate reason yeah. which is we will die right and that's that's all it needed but yeah, yeah i felt like yeah they didn't have to go any further than that you see a guy you see a guy like i mean What's what's the most interesting thing? Like you see a kid fucking doing graffiti, you see a cop at the end of the alleyway, the cop chases the kid and we follow the kid till he like escapes into a dumpster. You could watch that totally spellbound and you wouldn't for a second wonder, "Oh my goodness, what what's going on with this kid? Why isn't he at school? Why is he doing graffiti?" Like 
it's does he have a family you know does he how long has he been doing graffiti for you don't care about that stuff until the cop's gone right but you still and, you, you still need something to tie it to you need a through line aside from that mm. they're gonna they'd call it even emptier if there was no sandra bullock kid stuff yeah well i mean people are always gonna gripe That's i mean the movie the movie i compare it to is um did you see cave of forgotten dreams uh yes I loved that. I I thought that was so beautiful. And it really just existed to give you the experience of going into that cave. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and there's a bunch of exploration around it and you kind of meet the people, you meet the people involved with it. Um, and then, you know, you see an albino alligator at the end. <laughs> yeah, right. Because uh, <laughs> man versus nature. Yeah, exactly. Because et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. Werner Herzog. But like that... I mean, the whole point of that movie was like, you can't actually go into this cave, but we're going to take our 3D cameras and use this immersive technology to put you in this cave with this amazing, you know, mind-blowing ancient art in it. Right. I felt the same way about gravity. It's like, you can't go into space, but, you know, here you are in space. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like, I was thinking about this, the, I was talking to someone about this the other day, of uh, how kind of a lot of popular art is tending as far as possible away from the suspension of disbelief. You like, mean if you, towards making it more real? Yes, exactly. Like, if you take, if you have a couple of characters you actually care about involved in a human struggle that you believe in, mm -hmm. you need very little to compel the audience. Right. Like, you certainly don't need millions, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of CGI. Right. I mean, uh, uh, like Blue Valentine. Yeah, like Blue Valentine, like a school play. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like an improv show. Uh, yeah, definitely. Improv's like... the worst. <laughs> Them's fighting words. No, I do, I do plenty of improv. I could have guessed by the <laughs> fact that you're doing this. Right? Um, well, also by the fact that we were connected via Facebook through another improv. Oh, right, yeah, so yeah. I just assume. It's going to be... I hate that guy, whoever that is. <laughs> you, you, because you're having such a horrible time with this conversation. Uh, get off you the stopped recording already. an hour ago and you just I don't want to... Never even you started. You don't want to hurt my feelings. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, and then uh, I'll the, get... The, reali but, the reality of, of art. The reality... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, just to finish my one thought. Um, uh, I feel like somebody who goes to see a movie where what they know about it is this is an immersive 3D experience that's as close as a bunch of really smart, capable people have been able to get to putting you in space. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what, that's what you're there for. Right. You wouldn't, if, if what you were there for was to, to care about a woman who lost her, her child, um, you know, you'd go see Rabbit Hole and there'd be 10 other rows of people between you and the stage and there'd be you'd be looking at a room that only has three walls in it and there'd be all these like weird unbelievable transitions and you wouldn't care because it's this gripping human story about some parents who lost their child i mean it seems like like uh, an immersive ride and a human story serve such different functions that you know people should get over it i feel the same way about avatar i would have liked that movie better if it didn't have a story <laughs> well uh, <laughs> uh unobtainium and all was a, yeah. a major so so you're saying the dead child was unobtainium it was a little heavy-handed yeah it was it was yes okay. well put it <laughs> was it was heavy-handed and what's more 
it was irrelevant to my enjoyment of being immersed in that world. Mm-hmm. Like the reason I liked avatars because they're walking on the limbs and every time he steps on that lichen, it glows. <laughs> that, like, that's awesome. That's, that's why you liked avatar. Yeah. See, but here, if, if we have no, if we had no character in Bullock, then what, then we're just, then we're playing a video game. Then we're in Half-Life 2, you know, with a, a character who has, you know, with three, just a so, blank avatar or a, 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 or we're watching Doom, God forbid. Oh, good. Well, I would like to make a strong differentiation between watching Doom and playing Half-Life 2. Okay, yeah. um, one thing They're I love both on the same level. Come on. Um, but the other thing is, I don't, I guess, I mean, the characterization in the moment was great. I mean, I think seeing people respond in the moment to difficult, terrifying situations is... Um, is interesting and is involving and is, is, yeah, you're right. It's not just a ride. It's watching other people on that ride and, I think... and watching it ricochet off their faces. I don't see how, I don't see how uh, Sandra Bullock's backstory in any way changed or deepened my enjoyment of her and Clooney's moment-to-moment attempt to deal with the fact that they're within 15 seconds of dying. Mm-hmm. Um, right? That the everything was so. I mean, everything. Everything was so. You were so close to the cliff that entire movie. I just didn't. It didn't seem believable. Yeah, true. They would. They would take a. That they would take a step back and think about other things that were bothering them. I suppose. Well, if you think uh, the movie I compare this mostly, t- cl- most closely to is when I saw Jurassic Park mm-hmm. as uh, middle school. I think sounds about right. But just mm-hmm. this, yeah, it was that. Uh, uh, it was almost too intense for me. I almost had to leave the theater. I was so yeah. It, it was there was that much action and, and uh, terror. Um, and we, aside from. We we got the cast of characters. We got characteristics of them. Yes. But yeah, we didn't get there. You, you know, they got to give off the island to, to, you know, uh, uh, go back to their dead child or something. Yeah. Or to and, live they on. Points, and they had points of, you know, I actually think you're really onto something with this Half-Life 2 thing. Okay. I think, I think you do need, I think these, these characters are proxies. Mm-hmm. You, you are staying... There's probably someone out there who actually studies blah, blah, blah theory. It's <laughs> right. like, oh, you're quoting so-and-so. You're rediscovering the wheel and you're discovering it square. Like, right, so but they're stuff. not listening to this podcast, so fuck them. Oh, great. Okay. And if, if they are, go watch Gravity. <laughs> um, but I think, I mean, we do want someone up there on the screen who will be our, uh, who will be our avatar, who will be our... Um, God, what's the word? I haven't been sleeping. Uh, what's no, the word? That's our, uh, it's just someone who we can see our, our proxy, who we can yes, see ourselves that's in. Yes, who's our who's our proxy? Who mm-hmm. we can experience this through a kind of a direct gut level empathy. Right. Yeah. It, it's like if Peter Laurie from M was up there, you know, a, a child murderer. It's like, huh. um, I hope he, I hope that guy dies. But here we well, just that's... had this this base 
Like this is, you know, this is a person. Right, exactly. Because even no matter how much you know that this guy is a monster, mm -hmm. towards the end when he's in that basement and all the, everyone's closing in on him, you still like feel his anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there's there's move. There's like a whole tradition of movies like that that use that to fuck with you. Oh, uh, little children. Little children too. Oh, my, uh, little children. Oh, uh, uh, talented Mr. Ripley. Yep. I would actually say a history of violence is my might be my favorite example of that. Like, do you remember? Was have you seen v history? Was that Vigo? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's David Cronenberg film. Have you seen that? I think yes. Yes, I believe there so. was. There's a scene uh, where his son. His son's kind of a kind of a brainy nerd. He's got this one one punk girl who's his friend, and he gets he gets rough roughed up by the jocks at school. Mm -hmm. And you, from the very beginning, it's kind of set up that you want him to stick up for himself. And then over the course of the story, he discovers that his father's this terrifying, brutal gangster. Um, and then the moment when he does finally stick up for himself, and and uh, hit back at these bullies is this fight scene that very, very quickly goes from feeling heroic to feeling disgusting. And I saw the movie, I saw the movie twice in the theaters because I loved it so much. And the second time behind me was an entire row of high school kids who were not digging it at all. <laughs> and they had a moment at the beginning of that fight scene where they were loving that movie. And by the end, they're like, fuck this shit. <laughs> because the whole point of that movie is it seems like to, to, I don't know if the whole, whole point of it sounds pretentious, but I feel like part of what the movie is doing is almost like punishing you for your complicity in the violence mm -hmm. you're experiencing or, or, or may, putting you face to face with the fact that you're complicit in and somehow rooting for this violence yeah well in the same sense drive does that too where it's, it's... i haven't seen it yet oh, oh great okay great uh you should <laughs> there you go it's sorry. amazing uh, i'm sorry we should have made a, if i'd known we were going to talk about movies no that's what it got on to <laughs> this is the connection um but yeah it's uh, that's another movie not going into detail but that's that's it's like it's not about it's not about action driving it's not about that yeah. at all and then it just yeah, yeah it's it's like that um, it's streaming on Netflix, I believe. So you shouldn't get yes. on that. I just watched Dread, which was, <laughs> which is great. Is that a remake of Judge Dread? Yes, it is. That, now that needed to happen. It's pretty good. It is pretty ridiculous. It is, uh, it is well done. I enjoyed it. Huh. It's, it's, it's not, you know, the, yeah, it, it's, they're, they're proxies. They, well, not proxies. Yeah. I don't feel like I am the, the judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah. Ever, um, but it's there. There's not a lot of depth to the characters, and it's just kind of an action free for all done well. Yeah. Oh, it sounds. I'm I'm just kind of shooting in the dark here, but it sounds like the, based on the kinds of movies you you choose to see. Did you see the Twenty One Jump Street movie? Yeah. I don't know if I saw all of it. Okay, got it. I was just thinking, like you like you like bizarre out of left field remakes of old things <laughs> what, what did you, out of the out of a pattern of one no that's you know what it isn't that it okay. was you you seem to like to find you seem to like to see if you'll like things that other people will probably dismiss out of hand mm, is that true i'm i i'm the one who dismisses things out of hand usually. Oh, you are yeah 
Huh. Uh, I, I watched Dread because people on Facebook just kept saying, this movie's great. It's like, oh, okay. are you sure, guys, I respect? I don't know. Huh. We'll see about that. Yeah, Dread's definitely a movie I wouldn't even, like, consider having an opinion on unless someone told me to go see it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Just because, like, oh, it's a remake of a thing, whatever. But that's, okay, I'll check it out. So where do you, where do you live? I live in Minnesota. Oh, okay. You are on the East Coast somewhere. I'm in uh, New York City. I'm in Queens right now. Okay. Yeah, I just got back to New York um, from Chicago, so I was a lot closer to you. Until <laughs> now we're so recently. much further away. Yeah, now we'll never meet. Mm. Um, where, where in Minnesota? I live in the suburbs of Minneapolis, so okay. uh, northwest. What's your, uh, what's your rhythm of life like? I work and... Go home and also do improv. Okay. So cool. You they, do improv in the Twin Cities? Yeah. At, uh, I teach at the Brave New Workshop and I do improv at Huge Improv Theater. Uh, okay. In downtown. Is that a, is that a pretty lively scene? Yeah. It's been, the improv has been uh, just growing slowly over the last. I'll say, well, 15 years, probably. I'm, I'm going to get dates and stuff wrong, but it's just sure. there was a show on Sundays uh, just once a week called Improvagogo, which was an open mic for improv, pretty much. Huh. So four groups a night, you sign up, people get drawn randomly. And then that just grew the community, and it, that was going for years and years and years. And then, uh, then the director of that, with a few more people, opened up uh, sp- specifically long form improv theater, and that's been going strong for I think it's coming up on th- three years in December. Cool. Yeah. And you've been involved with that. Sounds like you you're you're deep deep into that. Oh, I'm deep into that improv. Ugh, so deep. Yeah. No, I, I've yeah I've done a bunch of shows there that are fulfilling to the soul instead oh. of working in that cubicle. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like that Onion headline, uh, uh, discover what you love most in life and do it nights and weekends for the rest right. of your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those things make you cry just a little bit or a lot. Yeah, it's a little, really, little too true to be truly really funny. It hits your soul. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So I'm not, I don't have a show in like these next two months. So this creative outlet is uh, I got to contact someone about doing another uh, Better Strangers podcast because I have this fear of doing it, even though it's you know obviously uh, easy to talk to people and interesting, yeah. but it's it's well you've you've set I mean you set yourself up with a, a really nice self selection process because you're only talking to people who've already chosen to talk to a stranger. Yeah, exactly. So you're not going to be calling up some, uh, well, I don't know if, if this gets really big, uh, I'm going to talk to a bunch of assholes. That's true. And no, but it's, yeah, it's people that know someone I know and that can't be too bad. I've, I had a weird, when I when I got back to New York City for mm-hmm. whatever reason, uh, I think as a, as an immediate response to the increased kind of anxiety level just in the air around here, I started making little origami animals just all the time when I was on the train, when I was waiting for something, hmm. and uh, I got into some really conversations, really interesting conversations out of that. 
um, basically because I ended up talking to people who had already decided to talk to someone who was making origami animals in public. Yeah, they they saw something in you. They described you as someone who would watch remakes, and then they want to talk to you. <laughs> okay, that hurt. <laughs> they, they, no, they saw. <laughs> they essentialized you, and then they felt safe, and then right. they said hi. <laughs> like, if you well, no, I think more to the point of like, there's a for probably for every one person in this city who's like, that's interesting. There's probably fifty people who are like, he's acting homeless, right? And then those people don't say anything to me, and then I don't feel rejected by them. <laughs> You, you, yeah, it's a, it's a self-selection process. It's yeah, a, I think you've you've found a way around. You've found a way not to talk to all the people who would think it would be weird to want to talk to strangers for an hour and a half. Right, but that's also I wouldn't be I wouldn't be I'd be okay with that. I'd be. It's just a general fear of talking and huh. uh, to people that I don't know. But if it's, it is, oh, must what? carbonation in that water. Excuse me. Um, it's okay. I think you hit the burp button in time. Nice. Uh, thanks, uh, editor, <laughs> producer. Um, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, fear fear of talking to people. Fear of talking to people, but it's it's controlled. I mean, even you know, I I can hang up if I want. That's true. You, you know, you can yeah. say the worst thing in the world. Well, I probably won't hang up. You should try saying some bad things to test me. I don't know. Do bad things. Um, I don't. I, Wait, I should try saying some bad things. Yeah, right. Test my oh, limits. Geez. Be okay. the person you really are inside. You want me to be the person I really no. am inside? No. That would involve falling asleep right now. Oh, you are sleepy. <laughs> I'm, the person I really am inside is pretty tired. So uh, what is your rhythm of life? I like, oh that, I like that question. Well, I'm... I'm it's so uh, much better than what do you... What's your job? Oh, oh yeah. No, that's the worst. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how many people like actually want to talk about their job? Um, not even the president. It's true. I'm sure he'd be, you know, what? let's talk about what happened on Scandal. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. That's, that's your, that's your bomb impression. I, I, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm sorry, don't watch it. I was like, oh, no, that was in quotes. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure he is. Yeah. You, you, well, didn't, you didn't get that perfect Obama impression? The thing, no, the, the, the sad thing about him is he's talking about something his briefer told him. He doesn't have time to watch Scandal. No, that's true. His briefer comes in and gives him a two minute synopsis of Scandal. And those are the two minutes of his day that are diverted from one world crisis after the next. Uh -huh. and, it's, then it's, goes, and then he talks to his daughters about it. And pretends that he saw it too. Oh, that is. I want to see that cartoon character. Oh, he's so sad. Uh huh. Uh, such such a smart man, and in 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 exactly the wrong job for his skill set. I didn't say that. No, um, I, I heard it. Yeah. Oh, you probably just burped. Oh, okay. Did you did you did you uh, did you hit the saying controversial things about our president button? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Just, yeah. So um, the the. The rhythm of my life is is uh, is um, pretty cacophonous and syncopated at the moment. Okay. Um, I felt like I was entering into a very uh, uh, very nice rhythm in Chicago, and then I got back here, and I feel suddenly jarred, which is which is probably why I worded that question that way. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, 
so I have a, I have a brief period to figure out like, do, am I, do I really have any, any of this city in my heart or should I cut and run and go right back to the Midwest where my eventual, I mean, my, my, my extended family, my grandparents are all from the Midwest and my, and my parents grew up there. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a speed, there's a pace. Speed is in fact the exact wrong word. <laughs> there's a pace at which things happen there. And there's an, there's an openness and a, a tribal feeling. And I think maybe from a New Yorker's point of view, though I'm not one, a naivete that mm-hmm. feels to me much more comfortable than um, the kind of the kind of clipped, uh, stony-faced uh, worlds collide feeling of, of the streets of New York. Hmm. I've never been, but it's I've watched a lot of Sopranos. That's near New York, right? That's yeah. Oh, that's New Jersey, isn't it? That's New Jersey. Ah, yeah. Fuck. Have you seen Taxi Driver? I have. Is that New York? I thought that was yes, San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not San Francisco. Yeah, that's no, me. that's not that's not that's not San Francisco. So it's just if, like it, if it were San Francisco, he'd start to get up. He'd 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 be at the political rally. And he'd start to get upset, and then he'd drive and watch the sunset over the sea and, and smoke a joint and like <laughs> the movie. That's like, right. ah, life's not so bad. Cops is old nom buddies. It's all good. Uh, and then go eat a burrito, I guess. Well, yeah, San Francisco way. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, no fried rice. No treats for him. Poor Travis. Uh, so, oh, have you girls? Yeah, pretty much all the, yeah. Oh, yes, I've seen girls. Uh, is that is that what your life is like? You're like uh, Laura Dunham? Yes, my life is just like Lena Dunham's. Lena Dunham. Except I need uh, to clean my tub. Mm-hmm. Uh, the minute, once I get my tub clean enough to really, to really luxuriate in it, then my life will be just like hers. Uh, <laughs> well, get, get, that's an easy goal to achieve, get some scrubbing bubbles in your set. Yeah, well, I don't think I set it up as a goal. I don't. I don't know if the world needs another Lena Dunham. She, she's got to, that cornered. Yeah, I mean, I, I. I hope that didn't sound even the tiniest bit like I'm impugning her. She's she's fantastic, but like she's already doing that. Right. Yeah. Um, I, there's there's another Lena Dunham would be like, oh, you're being Lena Dunham. Yeah. And it would be especially weird if I was like a dude with a lot of facial hair. But look, we got Jesse Eisenberg out of. The guy like Michael Sarah, so maybe we do need to. Huh. Because I only know Jesse Eisenberg from the social network, and I can't imagine Michael Sarah in that role. Okay. Well, I've never seen I've never seen Michael Sarah that edgy. I've mm-hmm. never seen him with that much um uh repressed hostility. Well, if you look at Adventureland, or all the land movies, Adventureland or Zombie... Zoolander. Land, Zoolander, <laughs> yes. Uh, land Before Time to... Land Before Time. Yep. Land of the Dam. No, that's not a movie. Land, uh, land yeah. of the Dead, yep. Land of the Dead, there you go. Um, uh, but yeah, he, before, he Did was, you say Land Before Time already? I said Land Before Time too, so you can say oh. the first one. Okay, because I didn't see the second one. I'm well, very tired. That's okay. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's just as well because I'm usually very good at at, at building verbal patterns, and and right now I'm not, so it forces me to actually express feelings. <laughs> we could we could I mean, in top form, we could waste twenty minutes doing land movies, and then where would we be? Um, we would be right where we started. <laughs> yeah, you'd be you you'd be hitting the rift button. <laughs> 
I'll, I'd, I would just edit that out and go, all right, so we talked about land movies for about 20 minutes, and then we got back to the conversation. Yeah, hit the fast, do the little fast forward thing. Yep. Um, and then you could remix it all into something. Hold on, uh, there's a cat fucking with the door. Oh. That'll shut him up. Do you have a cat? I have two cats. Oh, I used to have cats. What are your cats? <laughs> Tell me. Or do your listeners already know all about your cats? I don't know. I don't think I've... I don't generally bring them up unless they're trying to get into the recording room. Because there's already one Mark Merritt. Yeah, that's right. Um, they're, the they're, t- they're Bartleby and Dizzy. Bartleby and Dizzy? What? I can only imagine. I mean, I'm imagining Bartleby the Scrivener. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where, what's Dizzy? Dizzy is the name of... Uh, in Strangers with Candy, Jerry Blank uh-huh. got a baby to take care of. And she oh. named it Dizzy because it fell over. Oh no! Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So two polar opposites of the artistic spectrum. Yeah, and also of the of the temperamental spectrum. Yeah, that's true. Although, chill. I mean, give that baby. Wait till that baby's in his terrible twos. Then you've got Bartleby the Scribner. Yeah, doesn't want to do anything. Yeah, prefer not to. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, Melville. Sigh. Uh, so why did he ever talking? have to die? What? 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 Nothing. What were you saying? Well, I was about to. I was going to ask you the same question. Were we talking about anything? Oh, uh, land before time. Oh, and then before that, Lena Dunham, and then before that, the fact that I just moved back to New York, and I'm not so sure about it because its rhythms are are too clipped and harsh for me. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's. I mean, that's all I've been thinking about for the past week or two. Uh, so was it? Uh, so what is the goal? I mean, not to get too deep here, but what's what's what do you want out of New York that you're not getting that doesn't feel right? Besides, uh, besides the rhythm, it's um. Uh, this is going to sound. I think the fact the fact that this being in New York saying this sounds awful and, and mockable to me is actually part of the problem. I want a, uh, a depth of human connection that I've been finding difficult to get here. Mm-hmm. And I think it has everything to do with the rhythm. I mean, I, you know, a lot of my favorite people in this city, every time I see them, they're on their way somewhere. Okay. Um, or we're in a very noisy place like a bar. Yeah. I think there's, there's, I mean, I feel like a lot of stuff, like things take time to like really settle into your gut. You know, you're on, you're, you're feeling for another person. You're kind of understanding of, of where you guys stand in relation to each other. I mean, it takes, you can't, I mean, unless you're McNapier and your whole body is completely, completely loose and available to you and you're just the most, you know, elegant relaxed, flexible person anyone's ever seen, like Mm -hmm. you can't snap into that immediately. And if you try, if you try, you're going to end up, or I shouldn't say you, if I try to snap immediately into, um, some feeling of relationship or connection, I end up straining. I end up feeling forced. I end up, I end up feeling some internal, um, tension. Okay. So, but it's not the other person feeling that towards you but you well i don't internalizing that i don't know the answer to that okay. um 
You think maybe it may be that everyone, what do you mean the other person feeling it? Like, well, do I, do I make people feel weird and uncomfortable here? I'm, Probably. <laughs> I'm always of the fear that people aren't going to like me because yes. Right. But the, so much of that is just internalized and I'm not even giving people a chance to, you're not giving the people a chance to dislike you. I think I think this is something we have very much in common. Mm -hmm. That's and right. my my feeling about it is, I am so I'm predisposed to assume somebody doesn't like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm and I'm predisposed to assume that, and therefore I will interpret whatever behavior I get from them within within certain limits as them rejecting me. So it it may be that living living in a place where three quarters of what anyone says to you is either goodbye or not now. Um, wow. That just kind of magnifies that feeling. Yeah. Even if there's some rational part of my brain, that's like this person's working 20 hours a day just to have a futon to sleep on. Right. Like nonetheless, deep down, I feel rejected. Yeah. And it's, and it piles up, it piles up, it piles up. And like, I've, and I think the, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a struggle. If you're, if you're sensitive like that, it's a struggle to keep your wits about you. Okay. Um, or to keep, to keep centered somehow. I think there's the opposite kind of person who is, who is, um, excited and invigorated by just, by just light and sound. Mm -hmm. You know, just by all the excitement and the noise and moving this way and that. Um, and those people should live here. Uh, you know, those people, yeah, those people should live here and will could possibly do great work and have a great life here. Um, and it must just be, I mean, it must just be physiological. It must be genetic. I mean, because I know people who walk down, you know, who just like spend a day walking around in New York City, and at the end they're just they're just so like excited and invigorated. And me, I'm just drained. Wow. I I I don't know. I I feel like as a person, I've kind of changed. In college, I felt like if I wasn't busy, then something was wrong, and I huh. always wanted to be constantly moving and having something to do and something to work on uh not college work of course but other things right <laughs> um i i yeah I, I was at college and then i bust an hour to go teach improv and then i bust back another hour and then you know it was just this kind of hectic uh fulfilling lifestyle but now i would hate that um, yeah and it i don't know it's it's yeah who who are you then if you've changed that much you know not i, I don't want that go-go yeah well, uh, what that's attitude. I mean, that's fascinating so you who are you so you you your sense of your own identity was tied up in all these activities you were doing mm -hmm. yeah and now you so. don't want to be that active so what's your where do you get your sense of identity from well we're if you can change, if it changes that quickly, you know, like huh. now I'm a person who doesn't really want to uh, chat to people for fear of, although I suppose I was always uh, introverted, even when I was doing all that stuff. I think huh. deep down, we're all just flawed, right? 
<laughs> we can admit that. But that's so you were do you think I mean, do you think you've something deep within you has changed, or do you think the all the stuff you were doing to kind of skate over uh, and keep yourself kind of hovering over whatever whatever this kind of inward fearful thing is has that that has become too exhausting for you or that is no longer yeah you know it was probably yeah just keeping busy to keep my mind busy yeah so i don't turn internally how can i ask how old are you i am 34 yeah we're about the same age i just turned 36 and i i think i think there's I think there is a level of constant activity that you can't, not you, that, that a lot of <laughs> yeah, people yeah, I, I get can no you... longer maintain after a certain age. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm taking all of this personally, by the way, and I'm very yeah. angry. Well, when I say you, I think I'm trying to say both of us. Yeah. And then at some point you'll be like, I don't experience that at all. <laughs> and then we'll have something else to argue going about. On. Mm. Um, and we'll have something else to explore. But I think, I mean, I totally identify with what you're saying. It's like you, there's something there's some bothersome thing. There's some bothersome, worrying thing that you can distract yourself from with constant activity. Mm -hmm. And then for whatever reason, you're forced to, or you want to set that constant activity aside. And suddenly that thing is, is staring you in the face. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, hmm. There's probably a a uh, uh, word for that, or a or uh, that's probably a thing that that yeah. psychologists know about. Or... Well, there's, I mean, I don't know. One thing, in, I mean, I don't know if this is the right. This is a word that I learned from a psychologist. Proxy. I don't know if it relates directly to it. Proxy. There yes. you go. Uh, no, I learned that from a networker, ah. uh, from a network engineer. Um, no, uh, reaction formation. Okay. I mean, if if in fact you're, I feel like an asshole for saying you're because I'm not just talking about you. Um, I'm so If angry. in fact our, you're so angry. Right. Awesome, awesome. We're 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 onto something. If in fact our need to be constantly in motion is again and again and again, a reaction to a deep feeling that we're lonely because no one likes us, mm-hmm. then that can, I mean, that's like being chased, right? That's like every, every, every second I stop running, I can hear the cop catching up. Yeah. You know? And then it's not until you escape the dumpster that you can go into your backstory. Exactly. Wow. Or it's, <laughs> brings it all back Bam. to gravity. Bam! Third beat. Ah. Here we go. Uh, so, and then, and but it's. I mean, it's it's. I think for me, it's weird to be around a lot of people who are still very comfortable at that much higher pace. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels unbalancing. Yeah. It, it's like everyone else is playing a game almost that, uh, it, yeah, it's hard to keep up with. I, I don't yeah. feel like hustling necessarily to get 
my way because I feel like I am I might accidentally step in front of somebody else and then be embarrassed or huh um or or someone's gonna say oh that guy's sure needy or he need or or that guy's a, a dick for trying to <laughs> make something of himself I don't know oh wow so you're worried that's interesting uh, so I, I see so many people that that just claw their way to the top through like schmoozing and just yeah. these these uh, and, tactics which i i find annoying and and unnecessary so you're judging them mm-hmm. you feel you feel kind of gross about or embarrassed for them right. Listen, and then you're like well what if i if i were to engage in that behavior some imagined other person would be feeling the way about me that I feel about those people. Absolutely. I, <laughs> I judge a lot of people. That's a trap. And I can only assume everybody is judging me. And that's, that's not the case at all. That's, all, that's, that's, a tra- that's awful. I'm yeah. so sorry. And, and, and you know what? If someone's judging you, who cares? Nobody ca- it doesn't matter. Yeah. It what does. power do they have? Yeah, exactly. But it's still that that deep-seated irrational thought i mean you know rationally that it doesn't matter but it's it's in you and it's hard to overcome have you i don't know if this is relevant at all um i'm gonna stop apologizing for being too tired to think clearly uh that's my last one okay have you seen the uh slava zizek uh documentary Mm. there's probably more than one at this point i can't remember what it's called uh something about He made a. He, there's a documentary about him talking about movies. Okay. Um, and you know, and he he talks about uh, he talks about Psycho, and he also talks about this crazy old, um, I think, Disney cartoon. You're going to get mail for this. Okay. Um, uh, where a where a uh, dog is being punished in hell. He's in hell, and he's being judged and punished by a bunch of cats. Okay. And um, and his point is that the the superego is essentially sadistic. That it it has because because of our you know because of uh, you know our feelings about our parents or whatever, it seems neutral and omniscient, and it seems like it's judging us based on some reliable standard. But really, all it is is an internalized sadist. Hmm. So. So I think that's, I mean, it's, for me, it's not the same as you. I don't have this thing of like, people are going to judge me for being a striver. But there's, whatever it is, there's always going to be some voice in you that's like, here's the standard by which I'm finding you wanting. But I think the, thi- the thing that's happening, the thing that's really happening is there's just a voice inside of you that hates and judges you. You know, and the, yeah. the standard, the sta- the, the, and the, the, the pretext is beside the point. Yeah, so it's not right. it's not it's not the external people, but it's the own internal uh, justification of yeah. what they of, of what you perceive. Yeah, well, I would go even further than that. It's you not, would go further than that. I would say it's not primarily what you would judge yourself for. It's simply that there's a part of you that is trying to destroy and undermine you. Mm-hmm. I don't like that thought at all. And it 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 has the it feels like a parent. Mm-hmm. It feels like someone who has some reliable standard. Okay. But 
if you break it down, all it really is is something that's telling you you're bad and, and hamstringing you. Yeah. Because I, I know looking back at my own life, recurringly there's a part of me that's telling me you're a piece of shit. Who the fuck do you think you are? Mm-hmm. What business have you doing X, Y, or Z? Um, and it's come back over the years with seemingly very different messages, you know, f- with very different reasons why I'm a piece of shit. You know, uh-huh. you know, it suits it suits its language to the time, but it's always it's always coming from the same place, um, and it's rarely ever helpful. Right. Yeah. So what's what's evolutionarily why? I mean, I know why we have fear of uh, or we have stress in our lives. Yeah. You know, to get away from tigers or, you know, that that equates itself to, well, the tiger's paperwork now and I'm going to stress out about this. But right. what what is where where does that come from? Well, at, I'm completely out of my depth yeah. with that one. I don't I mean, I could come up with I mean, what do you think? Um, I, I can't. The reason for self-doubt, it seems like a mistake. You know, it seems like. I mean, evolution isn't a perfect process. You right. Know? It's it's not it's not like it created the perfect being. Our eyes are fucking messes. Yeah. Um. Of of light sensitive patches that turned into upside right. down gobs of wires. And generally speaking, the human ability to act, the human social interaction is a weird compromise. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not ants. Yeah. Right there's there's always this there's always this uncomfortable compromise between fitting yourself into the group and uh, getting getting your own shit, you know your own your own personal uh, you know reproductive success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's and you know there is there is a pack real mentality. What a pack mentality. Well, there's that. I mean, there is, it is, it is better. I mean, there's a, there is a kind of prisoner's dilemma here going on. It is better for everyone if everyone isn't stepping on each other's hands to get one rung up on the ladder. Right. It is better for everyone if no one's playing their, their optimal strategy, their dominant strategy. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I took a philosophy class. Um, (laughs) But as for that, but I feel like there's two different things going on here. One is like, well, that's true. You do have a, a morality that's telling you, okay, you don't want to do you don't want to do underhanded shit to get ahead, and like your your right to judge other people's underhanded shit, and you're even right to want to undermine them because that that maintains that maintains social standards. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the reason, the reason, uh, vengeance is sometimes, uh, sometimes a good thing is because it, it maintain, you're going, if you're, if you're punishing a criminal, you're going out of your way to maintain a social standard. Um, so that exists. That's a real thing. You should watch Dread. Awesome. It's all about this. Um, but, but at the same time, um, I think parental 
sadism and or even just the a, a, a parent's resentment of hatred for their child is also a real thing. And I can only assume that that all gets internalized in one big undigested lump. Mm-hmm. The, same, the same person who's teaching you right from wrong is coming home at the end of the day and the last thing he wants to hear is you screaming about something. Right. Um, so I'm, I can only, I mean this, again, you're going to, yeah, whatever. People who actually know this stuff are going to send you a lot of mail. But <laughs> I can only imagine that like, you know, as a kid, literally the same person who's being like, this is right, this is wrong, this is fair, this is unfair, this is where you acted good, this is where you should be ashamed of yourself, mm-hmm. is using those exact same tools simply adult. to foil you and put you in your place mm. and, and maintain his own sense of control and authority. Uh, so that's, and no kid is, no kid can tear that, sh- can like, can like unravel those strands. Right. And you just accept all of it. And then maybe probably as a teenager, then you go ahead and you reject all of it. And then you start breaking all of society's laws. And then um, you, you find yourself in... Chased by a cop into yeah. a dumpster. Ah. The never-ending story. Oh, no, that wasn't a cop. That was just bullies. I, I think you're talking about Falcor. Oh, he then chases the bullies into the dumpster. Uh, yes. Yes. Okay, great. So then what happens is you find Falcor. And, um, what is our Falcor? And you name the princess... Uh, which I, well, I don't even know what he says. It does, that's the worst ADR. Oh, that's true because it's all windy and stuff. Right. It's, it's like the line. It's I, like the line at the end of uh, line at the end of brick. Have you seen brick? Yes. Nothing is. Here's what you should never ever do: is turn up the volume loud enough so that you can hear what she actually whispers in his ear. Because <laughs> she does whisper something, but it, it, who gives a fuck? Right, like yeah, there's nothing not interesting that. about what she whispers. What's interesting is that she whispers it, and the birds take off. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't ever ruin that moment for yourself. Okay, I will not ruin Brick again for me. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brick was nice. Brick's one of my favorite movies. I I don't. It was on Netflix. I don't know why I watched it, but it had enough stars for me to give it a try, and it was great. Yeah. It was well, just. It was just odd enough that it, I got I got hooked on the scene where he was sitting in the car and just a long shot of someone walking up to it from like behind a building or just an alleyway or something. It was just this weird long awkward walk. Wait, who was what uh, scene is that? I'm not sure. I've seen this movie in a couple of years. Me neither. Maybe it didn't even happen. No, I believe it. That sounds right. Was he is that when he was was uh um when he was going to talk to the the tin man that sounds about right the oh what's he yeah the guy who dressed all in white um maybe i don't anyway, think we're anyway, find a solution to this that's oh yeah we'd have to go watch it let's let's pause this and watch yeah, it yeah let's go watch so, it and such beautiful dialogue in that movie too mm-hmm. i mean it's, i feel like it's so rare that you have that you have something like that that's that's like I mean, it's your it's your classic mapping game. That's 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 uh, that's so tonally perfect. Mm-hmm. 
like you're watching it and you're aware that this is a pastiche. You're aware that there's this odd thing going on that you're, that a uh, a film uh, film noir has been like a Philip Marlowe story has been transposed onto a high school, but you mm-hmm. still buy it. It's not yeah. It's not a joke. Like you still care deeply, and that's I I don't know. I just think it's masterful. I, would... I don't know. I don't know when I've seen something like that pulled off. Yeah, it's not a. Um, it runs so often into, into par- not brick, but yeah, know, that would be con- considered a parody if someone less skilled did it. Right, right, um, right. And that's uh, a season two of Community. You know, obviously a comedy show. Yeah. But their what their paintball episodes. Yeah. Never felt like this is a parody. It's more of an. It's more of. Yeah, that's another great what example. Is, what is great and and doing their own thing with it. It's it's not it's not doing the Wizard of Oz and oh here's the old brick road la da 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 da. Right. This means blah. It's it's not a uh, it's it's dealt with honesty rather than an elbow to the ribs. Yeah, that is that's another great example. And so there's what's the moment? Oh, I'm forgetting so much about this show. Uh, the the kind of middle aged woman in their group. Mm, surely. Surely, and she she gets shot, mm-hmm. and there's this overhead spinning shot. And does she say something like, uh, uh, "I'm done"? She says something like that, and it's for a minute you forget that it's all made up, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Oh my god, she's dying!" And everyone has that response, and she's like, "No, really, I'm done." And suddenly it breaks, and it's hilarious. Yeah, but that moment wouldn't have been hilarious if you weren't if it was you hadn't reality. been pulled in yeah absolutely if, if it wasn't as real to you as it was to to everyone involved yeah and that's that is my that's what i try and stick behind when teaching improv is you know you you got to you got to make things real if it's going to be funny yeah. it has to be it has to be grounded in reality it has it can be the weirdest thing in the world but you got to treat that as that it's normal yeah. Well, um, I mean, Peter McNerney has this thing that he, uh, teacher of the magnet has this thing that he says mm-hmm. in like every, every class, I think. Um, I think I heard this from him that you go to watch theater because of that part of your brain that doesn't understand it's not real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds nice. Like there's, there is as much artificiality as there is around the moment you're having. Mm-hmm you are actually doing a real thing with another real person. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's why I like improv so much. Um, I mean, I know that's, I know that's a big reason why I have kind of like turned this weird corner in my life. And I'm trying to like, trying to invest it in theater is because, uh, because it seems like, uh, it seems like a shortcut through what feels like the the forceness and artificiality of 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 so many interactions. Like you pretty much you pretty much are in a contractual agreement with your scene partner that you're actually going to honestly relate to each other. Right, you're going to relate and build with this person rather than it, it's. So that's the a safe environment to put out your ideas without feeling like getting rejected. Like in the, fact, in improv, especially. Yeah, exactly. That's it's 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 the most basic thing you learn in the art form, 
is like we're we are we are all signing a, this piece of paper that says we're not going to reject each other's ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why that's why the fear is there in real life because it's it's right. It's n- that's not why the fear is there. The fear isn't in real life because improv is there, but you know it's it's there. Wait, say that again. I screwed up my words. Oh, I'm judging you so hard for that right now. Oh, man, no. I'm so angry. Yeah. Okay. Great. Now we're back in. Now we're back in familiar territory. Uh, you're being um, judged. And you're feeling angry. Everything's cool. So what? Uh, what no, I, seriously. What yeah. did you mean to say? Um. Oh, it was just something stupid about uh, uh, judgment in life uh, coming from the acceptance of improv. So there was improv, and then disseminated out into people's feelings about real life. Was the the doubts came out of the goodness? Like oh, like it throws it into relief. Yeah. 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 I think that's true. I think you can forget. I think you can either never, never know, or maybe forget at some point what it's like to feel axiomatically accepted, Mm -hmm. right? What it's, what it's like to be in a situation where you already feel what you're doing is accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's so, that is so little of life. It is. And I, uh, you know, another reason for conversations like this is there don't seem to be that many. I mean, most of my conversations are just me looking to interject something funny and then everyone else can keep talking. Right. So to, to you know, to have depth in a, in a conversation and being able to relate is, is odd, but, but enjoyable you know yeah that's and you i mean i think you've you've hit on something so central there of like why why there's why comedic improv is weird Mm -hmm. because it's true like a bunch of and this also this i found this culture to be different in chicago than in new york but like a bunch of of kind of comic comedically minded people in new york sitting around are all looking to get their shot in right yeah they're all looking so so to have a room full of those people engaged in an art form that's all about uh acceptance and building and working together there's an automatic tension um Hmm. it's probably a very i mean i'm assuming it's a very interesting automatic tension or people wouldn't wouldn't watch wouldn't go to it Mm -hmm. but it's i mean it's somehow it's somehow more relatable than like watching two, you know, yogi expert yogis just like stare into each other's souls and go, Oh, <laughs> like there is, there is, there is, there is friction as this thing goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. There is spin that's get, that gets put it on it as it hits, as it hits just automatic defensiveness and also a need to like put my own thing on it. Um, that maybe wouldn't be there if everyone was was truly at home with uh, with yes anding. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. I. <laughs> I don't know. I. I. Uh, I think I'm sleepy too. Yeah. Well, I. I mean, what. What time frame do you have for this? By oh, the way? it doesn't matter. 
Okay. Because I, I need to pee, and I don't know if we should just like call in an evening, or I should talk talk to you again in a couple of minutes after I pee. Well, you know, this is it's been kind of a nice tight hour, I guess. Your pee, your peeing, it comes at a good time. Oh, great! Thanks, bladder. Yeah, right. My my whole my whole body is working in harmony. Right ah, now. finally. <laughs> You're finally off that Chicago time. Back yeah, to rush, yeah, rush. Yeah, you know, so it's like what they teach you in improv, you know, about edits. Follow your bladder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it blackout <laughs> when uh, when the <laughs> urine comes through the colostomy bag. <laughs> oh, God. Right? Urine, the colostomy bag? Wait, what? Is You're that... having so many problems at that point. Well. Wait, the col- colostomy is, is your well, colon, the... right? Oh, right. It's, well, what's the... It's a fistula for your colon. Isn't there a urine one? There must a catheter. Catheter, uh, rats got them mixed up. Well, yeah. Back to the drawing board on improv well, for me. You no, know, if you if you got a catheter, you don't need to edit it. You're yeah. good. Yeah. You just, just collect them a little bag. But what if it gets too full? Oh, then you're in trouble. Yeah. No, you got to black it out and then empty it before yeah. everyone else gets to the bathrooms before you. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You can even set the blackout on a timer so you're in the bathroom when it goes. <laughs> this is, would you be smart. You don't have to stand uncomfortably in line. Smart tech person with a catheter. What? Okay. That's your, is that your new web our new web series? Um, I think it's going to be about a trucker with, with a catheter. catheter. Oh, those guys just have Gatorade bottles. I, I yeah. Until I, they throw them on the side of the road. Gross. Oh. Have they, you ever have you ever tried that in a car? No. Have you? I have. It's very difficult to get a good angle. Do you need? Well, I would. I would think you'd want a wide uh, mouth so you, could, so you could just stick it in. Well, no, but it's the fact that your face. You're like, if you think about yourself in uh-huh. in a car, your knees are above your hips, and hmm. there's some seat. There's some seat in front of your junk. <laughs> so, you, in order to get any kind of reasonable angle where you uh-huh. can even get something into, you kind of have to push your butt pretty far forward to the like edge. In, yeah. It's like Duel, that, the Steven Spielberg movie, where that guy's sitting so close to the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. Like, he's in a perfect position to pee. Um, except he's being chased by a giant truck. All right, yeah. Um, okay, well, we now we totally brought it back around. Brought it back to movies, but brought it back to Spielberg and pee. Brought it back to getting chased. That's right. Oh, After yeah, would... into a dumpster or off a cliff. What? Off a cliff, yeah. yeah. Well, he, yeah. Yeah, he defeats it. That's how that ends, right? Yes. Spoiler yes. alert, everyone Spoiler. who hasn't seen Duel. <laughs> Spoiler awareness. Right. It's. Uh, I'm sorry yeah. for everyone who we hasn't seen it since 1970, whatever. A Steven Spielberg magnum opus, mm-hmm. Duel. Uh, all right. And to think, if he had made that today, he wouldn't have had, that, had to have that guy so close to the steering wheel because modern televisions have a different aspect ratio. True. He and wouldn't that, have had that claustrophobic. Or what, what was it made for a TV uh, I believe it was. It was okay. also shown in theaters in Europe, but hmm. I think it was originally made for television, which is why he's so close to the steering wheel. Got it. And I know that because because there's some extra film on the side in uh, uh, when they showed it on screens in Europe, mm-hmm. there are a couple of there are a couple of shots that Spielberg is in, and everyone thought he was intentionally pulling a Hitchcock, but really he just didn't. He just had no anticipation that he would be inside the frame when that's, they showed it in a movie theater. That's funny. Um, all right, cool. So is this is this this it? I think this is it. Do it. Yeah, this was nice. 
Yeah, this is a tremendous. This is so much fun, man. Yeah, we got to um, the bottom of some stuff. Well, not to yeah. the bottom, but but uh, we felt around in its guts to see what it felt like. Yeah, and, uh, uh, got a sense of some. We got talked about movies and issues. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. We covered we covered the gamut. Yeah, so it's like this. Com- you you start in with something comfortable like movies, and then it's weird. Just the opening up happens naturally when yeah. you're when you're. When you just get chatting. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially something like movies, which are like dreams. I mean, if two mm-hmm. of us are two of us are, are really turned on by the same movie, there's probably some deeper deeper connection or similarity there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, gravity. Yes. I should go watch that a second time. Yeah, me too. I love that. Yeah. All right. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Cool. Thanks for chatting. You can Matthew. go on you can go out on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just cut it there. Awesome. Uh, it's great talking to you. Yeah, it's great, great talking to you, to you too. I, now I'll, I'm going to go actually listen to your podcast. Sounds good. I will, now that we're not strangers I'll anymore. let you know when this one is up, probably next week or the week after. Uh, and I think you can totally use my name, right? All right. Sounds I don't good. think I said anything. Well, you said that. that you said all those racist things. but I was Yeah, like, but I, I mean, anyone, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows I'm racist. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Matthew great. Pollock. <laughs> Matthew Pollock, admitted Twitter racist. <laughs> Not a real racist, just a Twitter racist. Uh, that's the online, anything goes. Yes. It's the Wild West. All right. Okay, let's end this now before we just keep doing this. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> and there you have it. Thanks again to Matthew Pollock for taking part in the conversation. It was a really good time. If you want to do what Matthew did, you can go to betterstrangers.com or noisepicnic.com. Uh, go to the Better Strangers section, and on the right side of the screen, you will see a link to submit your own information. So if you've never talked to me, if you've never met me, and you want to take part in this podcast, if you want other people to hear your wonderful voice, you can submit your information, and I will call you up sometime, and we'll have a chat. So, on to the analyzation. That was a lot of fun. It flowed really nicely because we had this beginning relating to something we both like part where we have a lot of similar tastes in movies and we're actually able to go a little more in depth now if you're a uh, film school student we probably sound like jackasses but you know whatever that's what it was it was just two people talking through their filter of knowledge and that got us relating to each other in different ways and we were able to get deeper into issues like conversations about the self right so we go from movies to turning mirrors inward to look at why we are and uh who we are and and what we were so it's just so interesting to see how these conversations with a complete stranger can go to such depths in such a short amount of time this is such an interesting situation because you're not going to get this kind of depth if you're just chatting up different people at a party because number one it's not going to go on for an hour and 15 minutes you're going to get to like what do you do uh married not whatever but you don't get to this you're not going to open up to someone like this at a party so it's really interesting to see just these one-on-one situations with someone you don't know at all who is willing to just open up to you like you are to them go to such depths 
Now, I have to admit that I was not playing up to Matthew's level. I haven't had a conversation like this in a while. So there were, there were times Matthew was talking and uh, you could hear me go like, right? Mm-hmm. Just hoping that he would continue talking as I'm trying to process what he's saying because I'm just so used to getting distracted or not really focusing in that much. So the wheels are just spinning in my brain trying to keep up. And I didn't want to let that show, really. Because even though we got that in depth, you know, you still don't want to show all of who you are to somebody who you just met. But why not, really? Is this person going to use that against you? You're never going to talk to them again, probably. And if you do talk to them again and you want to keep up some sort of relationship with them, some sort of friendship, then that is something they're going to accept in you. So we do a lot of hiding ourselves. And even when we're open, like I was, I'm still hiding stuff about myself. But here, I'm laying it all out, telling you I was being not dishonest, but letting you know what my mind was doing. Because it felt like we were doing some really high-level stuff. So, try being more honest with people. Let them see who you are. Give people the opportunity to reject you because they probably won't. And if they do, then screw them. I mean, you just saved yourself a lot of time pretending. Armchair psychology, yes. All right. Thanks again, Matthew, for chatting. I had a really good time. Again, if you want to do what Matthew did, betterstrangers.com. Click on the right side. Link for submission. Better Strangers is part of the Noise Picnic Podcast Network. You can find more great podcasts at noisepicnic.com. Or you can find Better Strangers at noisepicnic.com. Or you can also find Better Strangers on iTunes, on Stitcher. You can follow it on Facebook. Or just follow me on Twitter at A-R-I-C. And thanks, as always, to Brad Sucks for providing the intro and outro music. You can find more music from Brad Sucks at bradsucks.net. All his music is available for free with the option to donate. I would suggest donating because he rocks and is great. That's all I have. Uh, I forget how I sign off. I don't think I ever really found a good way. I think I, I might say I talk to you later, but that sounds stupid. So, we'll, uh, you know, just, we'll end it. Bye. That was still weird. <laughs>